0: If you love me, keep my commands. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you hold to my teaching, You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Therefore, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it.
1: Well, I'd invite you to turn in a Bible to Matthew chapter 7, where we will be today. Uh, Whether that's a physical Bible or a digital Bible, one of the things you might notice as you turn there is that the words that you find are are in red font. Uh, Again, whether a physical analog or a digital Bible, uh, this is the idea that Jesus' words are actually written in red font. It actually dates back to 1899, uh, a gentleman by the name of Louis Klopsch. He had this idea one day when reading the scriptures uh, that we just read here in communion from Luke 22, where Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, thought, what if we put the words of Jesus uh, in red, like the color of blood, and then from there, all the major Bible publishers uh, have adopted that idea, and it's quite likely that your Bible has Jesus' actual words that are recorded in red font. And so that was, you could say, the genesis, the, the inception of this particular idea for this series written and read, the words of Jesus. As over the next several weeks leading up to that. Particular verse, that moment, that weekend, Easter weekend, where Jesus gave His life, uh, gave you know poured out His blood for us on a Good Friday, and then died, buried, rose again on a Sunday. Uh, we are throughout this time, leading through this Easter season, which means it's spring, which is all good. Uh, looking at the words that Jesus spoke. Uh, with this idea that if Jesus, if our mission as a church is to become devoted followers of him, then it makes logical sense that we would give special attention to the words of the one of whom we claim to follow. And so Matthew chapter seven today, these words that we're gonna be studying here to start off our series, they're actually an interesting set of words in that these particular red words of Jesus are the words that Jesus gives us that interestingly is actually about all the other words of Jesus. And so, we see that Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the end of that sermon, you'll see there in Matthew chapter seven. And if you look backwards, uh, the rest of chapter seven or flip back or swipe back to chapter six as well as chapter five, you should see a lot of red letters, a lot of red words, because it is the conclusion of that particular sermon the longest uh, discourse that we have of Jesus recorded. And what he's gonna share with us in the conclusion, which is our introduction, are words that represent and give us uh, an understanding of how Jesus' words work, and honestly, how they don't work. And so I invite you to follow with me in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse 24, as we read Jesus' words about all of Jesus' words. Here's how he says it. Jesus says, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so we have this illustrative parable that Jesus gives us about these two men who have set out to build a house. And when the scriptures talk about building a house, they could be referring the scriptures to one of several things. Could be referring to building a society Uh, in the scriptures. uh, Israel's called the house of Israel, so building a community. Could refer to building a ministry, like a household of faith. Uh, Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. I uh, could also refer to building a family. Jesus lineage it's called the house of David. And it also can be referring to building a life. A life of substance, of significance, of meaning, a life that matters. And that is what Jesus is leading us in here. He is talking about, as we build our house, he's talking about your individual life, to build a life that matters, that has significance, that is based on his red letters. And so as we compare, uh, in Jesus' parable here, these two houses, these two builders, these two lives, we need to compare and contrast what is the same and what is different, Uh, With that idea in mind, I trust that many of you throughout your uh, years have at some point played or participated in the children's activity sheets called Find What's Different, uh, where you have two images side by side, or in this case, we're going to look at them here in just a second on top of one another, where they look essentially the same at first glance, but upon closer examination have maybe several things that are different. And so this is a play-along, so I'm, I'm needing you all to participate, to shout out the answers uh, here at the pews, as well as at home, you can play along at home as well. We're gonna uh, try our hand at a couple of these, find what's different activities. Okay, so with that, let her rip. What do you see that's different? Yeah, the K and the T, oh, the label. Oh, the steam, they didn't get that last night. Two st- I missed that. Okay, and the little float bubble, good. Nice job. All right. You guys are awake today. You guys had your Mosaic coffee before you came in. Very good. All right. Let's, let's try another one here. What do you see? Salt. Good. Cat. Toaster. One's got toast or bread. The t- magnets on the cabinet or on the fridge, whatever. There's so much different. That's not even the same picture. It's all different. It's all different. It's all different. Okay, all right, you guys are good. All right, one more, one more for us here. Uh, Let me share with you, let me share with you four quick observations about how these two houses, uh, both in our image as well as in our parable of Jesus, are first the same. Here's how they're the same. Number one, you've got, The story we've got two builders who both want to build a great house. They want to build a great life, uh, which I think we can all relate to. Like that's all the same. Like no one sets out to say, I just want to like blow up my life. No, we all want that out of life. From there, second, both heard, this is interesting, the exact same words of Jesus. Both builders, verse 24, these words of mine. And then the second builder, verse 26, these words of mine, Jesus says. They they both heard the exact same words on how to build that great life. Because they would have heard Jesus in this context, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven, which is interesting because what Jesus is painting is a difference in builders, not like what we might first glance think, like talking to someone maybe we could say in here versus someone out there. No, 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 Jesus is talking to two people sitting in the same pew, sitting at church online in the same couch, in the East Auditorium, the same table, reading the same words written in red. Third, both builders in the same way encountered a storm. And then fourth, per our visual, both houses on the outside look exactly the same. Nothing is different about either of these two pictures Everything looks identical until, until, until the storm comes. Until the storm comes. And for the first time in the story, we discover what is not the same. And that is what you can't see. And that is the foundation. The foundation. And thus, the result of those foundation. One house, verse 25, did not fall, while the other, verse 27, fell with a great crash. For me, when I was uh, at the ripe old age of 19, uh, I was hired to be the interim youth pastor at my home church in South Carolina, where with, after one whopping year of Bible college under my belt, uh, My youth leaders, uh, Jim and Wendy, uh, who had helped me navigate the storms of adolescence just a couple of years prior, I found myself in a situation where I didn't know what to say as they stepped into a storm of their own just two years later. Uh, Me, having no idea uh, how to be there for them as they faced the storm of going to the hospital, expecting uh, the birth of their firstborn daughter, only to discover that there was no heartbeat. And it's a storm that some of you have faced. Um, There are storms that many of you, that we have faced for for more than 20 years since, we have been facing storms. Many of them I hear with you together. We have faced storms of many kinds, physical health storms, mental health storms, financial storms, family relational storms, storms at school, kids, storms at work, uh, the storms of tragic, unexpected loss, the storms of death. Uh, just this past week, uh, I conducted a funeral for uh, a dad of a couple of kids that were in the youth group when I first came on staff here as a youth pastor uh, who just became a grandpa, but this past year, uh, was diagnosed with glioblastoma, uh, very aggressive uh, brain cancer, and less than a year later, uh, dies this past week. And it's just like the, the breadth and the array and the depth of the kinds of storms that are represented here. They're wide, they're many, and yet, at the same time, there is that commonality that we all have faced and face the storms. And, and Jesus is upfront about this. Jesus, words in red, John 16, he says that in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus soberingly reminds us that in this life, we will have storms, we will have troubles, But to take heart, to be encouraged, nevertheless, he says, I have overcome the world. And so there's this tension, this both and. And it's not an if. He says, you will, like when you face these troubles of many kinds. Trouble and storms, they are part of the human experience ever since evil entered it in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the book in Genesis. And what we discover, what Jesus Tells us is that storm is the great revealer, uh, the great exposer of your foundation. And when it comes to storms that we face collectively, I find it absolutely fascinating that here we are. Think about it, on the eve, eve of March of 2022, almost two years to the day, where unlike any other time in our life's experience the whole world has faced the exact same storm at the exact same time together. And how Jesus' words, we have seen, have, you could say, served as a diagnostic to reveal, to, um, a diagnostic tool of the foundation that is at the core of people's lives. And so what diagnosis, what um, exposing, do the storms of life, do the storms of the last couple of years, what is it revealing in your life? Is it revealing a foundation of rock or a foundation of sand? Based on those whose lives have stood firm and those who have come down with a great crash. And in fairness, I don't wanna misrepresent that it doesn't suggest that if your life is built on the rock, whatever that means, as we're gonna look at it in just a second, uh, does that, does it mean that, that these storms aren't hard? It doesn't mean that they don't exist. It doesn't mean like we pretend that they're not real or that we just try to escape them. They're very real, but what the foundation is, it reveals something even deeper than the experiences that we face in life. It asks the question, what is below the surface that regardless of what life throws your way, when it throws it at your way, the question will be, what is your foundation made of? Rock or sand? And so how do we know? How do we like really know if our foundation is on rock or sand? I mean, it sounds nice. It's a, it's a thoughtful idea. It's cute, maybe. But there's something much deeper going on that answers this question in the words of Jesus. As we read... Jesus' words that are all about all of other words that Jesus will say, he gives us this one simple idea. There's actually four words in this parable that make all the difference. And so if you are like a highlighter or an underliner or like a circler or maybe like a glitter gluer, like whatever it takes to make these words jump off the page, you know, it's that classic, like if you forget everything else I say, don't forget this one thing. It is a, and it is the one-point sermon that Jesus gives us in this passage, and it's these four words, Matthew 7, 24. Here's the difference between the two foundations. Bottom line, puts them into practice. That's the one point, the one difference that reveals, that shows, that demonstrates your foundation. Jesus says it all comes down to puts them into practice practice. That's out of the New International Version. That's the uh, version that we tend to use around here. But other translations boil it down to two words. The English Standard Version says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. The New Living Translation, anyone who listens to my teaching, Jesus says, and follows it. Follows them, does them, puts them into practice. That is the only difference. It's the one point. Neil Postman, uh, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he, he makes this point that in our current culture that we tend to be a people who hear information, have an emotional response to that information, and because of that emotional response, it actually leaves us feeling as if we've done something, even... When we haven't. It's an interesting thought that we hear information, we feel something about the information that we've heard, and it leaves us feeling almost as if we've done something because we felt something even though we haven't done anything. And what's interesting about this is you think about our information age. This cultural observation in this particular book was made in a book published in 1986. And so his observation about the information coming our way would have had to have been limited to television and radio, and now here we are 35 years later, where we have, you know again, this was all pre-internet, pre-smartphone, pre-social media, to which I think we could collectively agree that whatever observation he made in 86, we've just poured gasoline on that fire, or maybe more accurately dropped like a fuel tanker on it. I recently came across a term with the same idea in mind, I've never heard it before, called slacktivism, slacktivism. It it takes uh, the word slacker and activism and combines them for slacktivism. It's like brunch, only not as good. It refers to the simple measures used to support an issue or a social cause involving virtually no effort on the part of the participants. Slacktivism is most commonly associated with actions like signing online petitions, joining cause-related social networking groups, or simply posting statements on social media. Pastor Eugene Cho uh, facetiously says this. He said, if only Facebook had always been around. Our broken world would have been fixed long ago. All you have to do to make the world a better place is to change your profile picture or status update. Just think, Dr. King wouldn't have had to march, Gandhi wouldn't have had to go on a hunger strike, and Mother Teresa would have never needed to actually touch a sick or poor person. They could have just let everyone know their opinion on Facebook, and everything would have changed for the better. It's like nervous laughter, right? Verse 24 and verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine, identical, but then we part ways. Verse 24 puts them into practice or verse 26 does not put them into practice. That is the only difference between these two lives that reveal their foundations. And the context, again, these words written in red that both builders would have heard, is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where we have red letters, red words from Jesus that say things like, love your enemies, pray for your enemies, yet Per our previous example, when it comes to the words that are in typeface that we push out with our fingers and our thumbs, uh, many Christians online, it would seem are A, becoming enemies before our very eyes, uh, and B, completely absent of the love and the prayer within their words that seem to be not written in red but all too often written in rage, reaction, revenge, and retaliation. And while you may be like me, it's like, well, I don't post things like that and feeling pretty good. That's fair. Uh, But don't miss, Jesus has plenty of red words for us all. Uh, Jesus, his his Sermon on the Mount, it actually, uh, if you go and read it, that'd be a great challenge this week to just read the words of Jesus as a starting place for our series here, uh, that he calls us primarily, you'll discover, to three transformational practice areas, if you will, that focus on money, sex, and power that instead of being greedy, Jesus calls us to sacrificial generosity. That instead of being sexually promiscuous, whether in body or mind, Jesus calls us to be sexually pure. That instead of grappling for power, the call is to selflessly serve. But the truth is, As Pastor Darren Whitehead rightly identifies, he says, churches are filled with people who listen to sermons every week, but they don't honor God with their money, their bodies, or their influence. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, these same words written in red that everyone hears, but he says, but rarely pray, rarely, seldom give, and they never fast. Puts them into practice. Pastor John Tyson, he says, how you live is what you believe. Everything else is just talk. How you live is, by definition, by demonstration, by functionality, it is actually the living out of what you believe and everything else is just talk. And I don't even have to look at my notes on this one because that line has been messing with me all week. It has, and I look at my life and there's some things that I know. I've been just talk. And I have to make some real changes that that are difficult for me because of, I would say, my default, out of the box, Brian, what you get, approach to things that I have been approaching lately. Only what I do is what I actually believe. Everything else for me is just talk. The word of God, the words of Jesus, um, they are by design, and I love this quote and I hate this quote. They are designed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That yes, Jesus, of course, please and thank you for your comfort for when I'm feeling afflicted, but also thank you that you afflict or confront my comforts. Uh, Because the reality is, Both sides of that coin are good. Both sides are good because, of course, I welcome the comfort that comes from God's grace in the midst of difficult times and affliction, but rightly understood, we also can embrace, ironically, the great comfort when it is God who is confronting our comforts. Why? Because in both cases, It's his grace. It's his goodness. It is the goodness of God, the gift of God in both cases for my best depending on what it is that he needs to do in me. It's because I believe Jesus. I believe him that when he says in John 10, 10 that I've come to give you life and life to the full that that is holistic. That is everything he has for me. The comfort and the confrontation. That Jesus' ways they are not confining they are freeing. Jesus is Sermon on the Mount, his words written and read, they tell me, they tell me, do not worry about your life. And then if you read that, he goes on to say about all the things that we give our concerns and our worry, you know, that we just build and build and build and build and build our lives on sand. But Jesus says, instead of worrying about all that sand, instead of worrying about all that stuff, build your life on me on knowing that you are valuable, that you are cared for, that when you, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, his righteousness, that all these other things can be added onto you as well. If you build your life on the rock by unlocking that reality through those four words, puts, them into practice. Brian here, not this Brian, thankfully, this Brian is going to uh, sing over us a prayer for you. A prayer that I invite you to make your own by singing along, by internalizing, by praying. It is the words of Jesus in song. To assess yourself, to do the diagnostic. Okay, am I building my life on sand? or the rock, am I, does not put them into practice, or am I taking Jesus and following him seriously by putting them into practice? And so I invite you to hear the words of this song, to sing the words of this song, and Lord Jesus, may the words that we sing by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us match the living of our lives. Make this your prayer. No So that prayer is our invitation it is your invitation to join us throughout this series to make it a priority to be here each week to number one yes hear the words written and read but then from there each week to both ask and answer the question okay then how now will I put this into practice uh, we've been saying a lot around here we're not just preaching sermons and singing songs like we're going somewhere we're on a journey. We are growing together. We are obeying Jesus' words written and read to serve together that we might fulfill what he's called us to be, and that is to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's the journey. That's the adventure. That's the opportunity. That is life and life to the full. And so, Jesus, may we hear these words of yours and, most importantly, put them into practice. Amen.